0: Daddy Squared, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Jan Megan.
1: Hello everybody and welcome (laughs) to another episode of Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast. I'm Jan. And I'm Alex. And Alex, uh, I think it's about time that we address the elephant in the room. It's time
0: for you to come out of the closet. Everybody, I have something I have to tell you about my husband he's not
1: from America originally. I think I only mentioned it in the first episode maybe? We I think people may have figured it out in subsequent episodes all by themselves. I have this incredible insecurity about my English and um, sometimes it comes out, it's like, I, I don't know, like, it comes out It's stupid or, or at least that's what I think. Um, I speak with mistakes and I want to apologize to everybody. Uh, I want to get it out of my system. Yeah, well, I don't know that it's going to get it out of your system saying that. but
0: It's an interesting topic, not just because of you and the podcast, but because in so many relationships, uh, you have people from different cultures. We had an episode about interfaith couples, but what about people who come from different countries and speak different languages? And I will tell you something. My Hebrew is very, very strong, right? It is. And yet, and yet, I am absolutely convinced that... A third of the reason why we have to go to couples therapy on a regular basis is because we don't completely and fully understand the nuances of what we're trying to say to each other
1: because we don't have the same mother tongue. So I disagree on that a little bit. I'm it's saying- only because
0: you don't understand what I'm saying.
1: Is <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the cultural thing. It's not the actual language. Oh, that's and true. I think it's also... Um, yeah, it comes across with us, but it's also with people who are from, let's say, Indiana and Los Angeles.
0: I think right? that's true. But the further apart you go, the more complex the, the misunderstandings are. And I think, I think you're right that a, a serious part of it is cultural, but it's also language. Uh, I'll also tell you, though, because I don't know whether Jan feels comfortable saying it, we get plenty of feedback from people
1: who say that they think that your accent is delightful and adorable. Yeah, man, man. And so
0: you're just going to have to suck it up.
1: Yeah, I'll just continue with my insecurities. And um, I think that we'll move on I to I love that. his insecurities. <laughs> and
0: we just, it just brings so much pleasure into our relationship.
1: Yeah, you know... I personally I get, I don't have get, any insecurity. I want to get serious about this, but seriously, sometimes I think that because of my accent, people don't, like, for example, hire me as a web designer. Like, I, I have a conversation, like an it initial conversation. Yeah, it doesn't help.
0: It doesn't help. I mean, and I don't think this is just an American thing, but you're. I think you're absolutely right that an accent, a heavy accent, is either something unconscious that affects, you know, hiring, or it's actually a fear that managers have that, well, what if people don't understand him, etc. Now, I don't think you really have that severe an accent, but it probably does have an effect. Remember that
1: episode that we always refer to in, in Modern Family.
0: It's a great episode. <laughs> or we should probably put, try to put a clip up of it if we can.
1: Yeah, there was a, an episode where Gloria, uh, played by Sofia Vergara, Vergara. she was trying to convince her husband to speak Spanish or something. Yeah, to take Spanish lessons. And uh, so he, he tried to speak Spanish, and it came out wrong, and she told him... Now you're the stupid one. Oh, that was such a good... That was a great and it's such a, I think it summarized all of the feeling of a foreign person who doesn't speak yeah. the language, Yeah. Uh, that you feel stupid. And sometimes, uh, I can't lie, I feel that. And especially working in the media and... You know working with people it's not like I'm in front of a computer all day yeah uh, so it's kind of hard I'll tell
0: you what though what's fun is watching our kids so I think when kids grow up with parents of two different languages and accents uh, they develop this incredible capability because our kids can actually understand s- me well <laughs> yeah that's true they can actually speak both languages in both accents. Yes. So they'll sometimes say something in Hebrew in this American accent, and then I'll say to them, no, now say it with a proper accent, and they'll
1: say it again with an Israeli <laughs> really? accent. They can do the same thing in the opposite direction, which I think That's is totally really wild. Today's episode is called, Daddy, which belly did they come from? Which is kind of summarizing two issues that we're going to cover today. We're going to talk about open adoptions, and we're going to talk about relationship with the surrogate. So both of them are kind of answered to your kids' questions of where did I come from. And it's funny that uh, just by accident, usually we interview people from Los Angeles and New York. These two people come from the South. So Heather from Indiana and Eric from Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of a unique uh, perspective that or we get there. Or at the
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. The
1: accent. Love the accent. So, and we'll start with the with the surrogate. So Heather, Man- let me see if I said correctly. Manojlovic. I let me did see it. it. Can I see it? I did okay. it. Shut up. Okay. I've shut up. She is the surrogate coordinator at Circus Surrogacy and a two-time surrogate. And you know what? We actually thought about interviewed our surrogate. Yeah. But she is too shy. So um, and she didn't want to speak on the podcast. If you're listening, Carly, Carly we're we gonna get you.
0: We're gonna yes, we love yeah. you,
1: but we're also gonna get She's you on. She's gonna this. warm up to we're it. We're gonna get you on this podcast. So we turned to our friends at Circus Surrogacy and, and they gave us Heather, which she also did the the thing herself, but also she is the surrogate coordinator, which means that she has experience not only from herself, but also from other surrogates who she works with. So we kind of try to discuss with her about don't make that face people understand me wow Um, so
0: remember how we talked about he was feeling a little bit insecure about this (laughs) apparently it's a little bit more than a little bit insecure
1: so she was gonna talk about the relationship between uh the surrogates and the fathers mostly after the birth right also before so that's gonna an interesting thing do you want to go with the sponsors reading before we go to heather
0: sure stop looking at me like that dear god I also want to say this before the sponsorship message, we have been recording for seven minutes and our children have not burst into the room saying that they have to make a poop or I don't know any other problem. Don't curse it. I know. It's amazing. Okay. Are you ready to become a dad? Surrogacy is a wonderful way to grow your family. Circle Surrogacy was founded by a gay dad through surrogacy and has been helping gay singles and couples become parents for over 20 years. Because surrogacy is an emotional and financial investment, finding the right agency to partner with you and support you on your journey is very important. Circle Surrogacy believes that everyone should have the
1: opportunity to be a parent. Learn more at Circlesurrogacy.com. I want to really thank Circle Surrogacy for believing in us and and sponsoring sponsoring us throughout the whole season two of our podcast. And it's very good to have them as a source also for information. So they brought us Heather, who gave us this amazing view of surrogates. Yes. And we want to share it with you guys. So here she is, Heather Maniolovich. Manojlovich from Indiana. <laughs> here we go, Heather. Heather, good morning.
2: Good morning.
1: How are you? Are you in Indiana?
2: Yes, I am. I am in lovely Indiana. It is nice weather here today. Thank you so,
1: for joining
0: us this thank morning. Thank you. Yes,
1: we have uh, a lot of questions because some of our listeners are really curious to know about the relationship between surrogates and uh, intended parents, especially after the birth.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And you are surrogate coordinator at Circle Surrogacy. Yes.
2: Yeah, so I am. I was first introduced to surrogacy. Um, by a good friend of mine. um, And I went through circle, I did two journeys myself, and I just surrogacy kind of became my passion project. And so anytime that I had the opportunity to educate or advocate for surrogacy, I took the opportunity to do that. And then circle had a position come available in the surrogate intake department. So I submitted my resume, I interviewed, and luckily I got the position. So now I get to spend a large part of my time helping educate women that are interested in surrogacy about the process and helping them through those beginning baby steps towards becoming a surrogate.
0: My husband, Jan, was a... Um... Oh, really?
1: I thought you had another husband. Yeah, no, this husband. One of this, the husbands.
0: This particular husband, Jan... Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, you know, he, he used to be a manager for uh, musical artists in Israel. So I, I have this image that it's kind of the same thing. Because these, these women, are they are the talent. I mean, they are bringing all of this this incredible opportunity to those of us who, who can't do it. And all kidding aside, I have to assume that there's a pretty major element of what you do, which is trying to find and uh, take care of these people who are providing this incredible service that, that's kind of a heady responsibility.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say I had never kind of thought about it um, in that way, but then having you kind of bring that together right there, I would say that is really spot on. And and it is because, you know, the majority of people filling out applications, you know, only 2% of women actually qualify. Wow. So, so mean, it is. You mean it's a crazy balance.
0: So you get a hundred applications uh, to do
1: surrogacy, and only two of them end up on your list.
2: Only only two of them end Ooh, up matching. Wow! Yes.
1: And also, you are two time surrogate. Yes. Okay, and both both of them were for gay dads, right? They were. So can you tell us a little bit about the relationship with the couples before and after?
2: Yeah. So my I had two different journeys, obviously. My first journey I delivered um in 2014. So it's like five years ago now. It sounds like forever, seems forever <laughs> ago. I actually started that journey with my intended parent and it was considered a single dad. So We were matched um, and the thing that struck me about him, I was just in awe of him, was that he had been in a relationship for 10 years and his partner didn't want to have kids. So he decided that he was going to leave that relationship and just pursue parenthood on his own and kind of take this leap of faith. So yeah, so it's just like this really moving story. We started off this journey and he was just, you know, a single gay dad. And then through that process, um, he actually met his partner um, and they later on got married. And so it was just, it was really amazing because what I thought was this initial journey with a single guy turned into this journey where, Then I met his partner and I grew to build this relationship with both of them. So, yeah, so that was really special. I think to even my own husband. Um, he has their contact info too. And so he's so funny. Sometimes I always try to be thoughtful, you know, when Father's Day rolls around and things like that and say, like, happy Father's Day, you know. Um, but every once in a while, I kind of just like, it totally slips my mind. And my husband is the one to actually say, like, oh, I already talked with them today. Did you send them wishes? And oh, I'm like, wow. oh, wow you're so good <laughs> and I'm just failing at life right now. So, um, and so, so, so it's
1: been, yeah. it's, I think it you're, you're still in touch with them.
2: Yes. Yes. Very much. So we're still in touch. My husband stays in touch with them. I stay in touch with them. Um, you know, we send pictures back and forth. Um, I don't know. It's just like a continued friendship. So, and so, I, I say this, but I always tell people when I'm talking about surrogacy and talking about the relationship that it can be what you're looking for it to be, you know, when you're going through the surrogacy process. I know for surrogates, they really want to just help their intended parents achieve parenthood and they want to support them through that process. However, or whatever that looks like for their intended parents. Um, And so, you know, I told my intended parents from the beginning, you know, um, I'm comfortable with what you're comfortable with. If you want to have contact and continued contact, I'm all there for it. If this is kind of like a chapter in your life and more distance kind of happens, like I'm, I'm understanding we're all living life. And I mean, I have two kids myself, so I barely have time to get my laundry done every week. So I just, um, Oh yeah. We, we,
0: we stopped doing that, doing that a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, we just throw the clothes in the trash. Um, uh you uh, so you have your own kids how do you feel about the relationship that you have with the kids that uh, you did surrogacy for
2: you know it's it's kind of interesting because i think a lot of times with surrogacy a lot of people talk about the relationship that the surrogate has, you know, in terms with the surrogate child or the connection with the surrogate child afterwards. And a lot of times I find I find this for myself and I also find it for other surrogates, you know, where we talk about the connection is really more that connection with the intended parents. Like for myself personally, I see those surrogate babies that I carried that I delivered um, and I see them with their parents and it is, it's an amazing thing, but I wouldn't, I per se don't necessarily have a full on relationship with those kiddos. Um, I know that their parents obviously talk about, you know, their birth story and how they came to be, but they also are a little bit younger. They're My first surrogate um, baby that I delivered is turning five in December and my second is three. So, so there's some, you know, they're a little bit younger. I think, I think that it's a different, it's a different balance. And so compared to my own kids, obviously it's a different thing. And like I was saying, my connection really is more with my relationship you know, with my intended parents, even though their children are like the primary topic of, you know, our conversation and what we're talking about, it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic actually
0: yeah yeah we've had a similar experience i think with with our surrogate when we went and and met her last year when our kids were already three years old yes uh the relationship is much closer with with us us than it is with the kids
1: tell me a little bit about your um the second parents
2: yeah absolutely so i started the process for my second journey about six months after i had delivered from my first journey and I remember being at the hospital and telling my husband, like, oh, my gosh, this was one of the craziest, coolest things I've ever done. I want to do it again. And he kind of looked at me a little scared and was like, I mean, I think you should let your body heal a little bit because you just had a baby. And that, that took nine months to uh, to make that happen. So let's, let's slow the roll a little bit. So I... Um, I took some time and then about six months later that was when I decided to kind of look into the process again and so I started started with the process um, got to matching I got the first profile and it was kind of one of those things where right off the bat I was like I'm ready to schedule a Skype with these intended parents and kind of see where things go from there um, And this was, um, this couple, they were gay dads. They were based out of Australia. um, And like, and once again, their story really spoke to me. Dan and Nick were based out of Kazakhstan and they were uprooting their entire life to move to Australia. So that way they could raise their kids um, in an environment where same sex parenting would more likely be accepted. Yeah. Um, and so just like, once again, just like huge, these huge sacrifices just to become parents. And it just like, it blew me away. Um, and so we did, um, you know, we, we had our entire journey and we, we would utilize WhatsApp to text and send videos back and forth. And it was really special um, because Dan's first language is Russian. And so he would send video of him singing to his baby or reading um, different stories and things like that. And so so that was really great. And even when he came to visit us in Arizona, where we lived at the time during our journey, it was just neat because there was this element of where we also got to kind of connect to somebody with a different cultural background. And it was a really cool thing, not only from our own standpoint, uh, but also you know, for our own kids. And it just really brought up great conversation in in our lives in general.
1: I think that a lot of uh, gay dads really want to do or intended parents, they want to do they want to go ahead with a process. And once you are matched, you don't want to feel like you're um, disappointing your surrogate, because she's doing such an amazing thing for you. How can you be Clear about what do you want the relationship to be, and what is the thing that will never be disappointing for the surrogate.
2: Think, and this is just the surrogacy process in general. Is just remembering that communication, and so um, I know, like when I went through circle. It's relationship-based matching. And so that is already when you're going through the matching process, not only as a surrogate, but also as intended parents, you are giving that information about what your hopes are during and after a journey. And so you will kind of have an idea of what you think your expectations are. Um, but I just think in general that come, that continued communication you know when I first went into the surrogacy arrangement I kind of thought like yeah I I'm not crazy about needing to have contact with my intended parents after a journey I'm I'm not dead set on that sort of thing if they want it great but I don't really feel like I need it and then I went through this journey and I built such a connection with these people I mean I I grew to love them and it kind of came to the point where I was like wow I don't really think I could imagine not not ever speaking to them ever again. You know, I don't think I need to talk to them every day or anything, considering they're taking care of a newborn and have their hands full. But um, that was just one of those things. And so um, I think as a surrogate um, and both for intended parents, you know, just just keeping that communication line open. Um, And I know it can be kind of tricky and surrogacy in general is kind of a vulnerable spot that you're putting yourself in because, you know, intended parents are trusting this person that's initially a stranger to care for and have their baby for them, Um, you know, and then the surrogate is going through this process with intended parents and this really kind of intimate spot um you know that it's she's really it's not like you know it's not like just going to the gym where it's something you do every day like you don't just have a baby for somebody every day sort of thing
0: god knows i don't (laughs) no um dad bod you know yeah dad bod yeah not for long uh you know so speaking of vulnerability there have to be experiences that a surrogate has, especially when, when they're showing and they're, you know, they're walking around and uh, people are talking to them about their baby. And there must be a lot of discomfort that comes from explaining yourself. What kind of advice would you give to a surrogate as they, as they have those kinds of experiences?
2: I was just talking about this with um, a new surrogate the other day and, you know, sometimes you have moments where you're at the grocery store and there's a woman in line that says, oh wow, you're so glowing, Um, when when are you due? And I really felt myself as a surrogate when I was uh, pregnant the first journey, I felt like oh my gosh, she just asked me when I was due, I'm a fraud. It's not my baby. I need to tell her that I'm a surrogate and get into this huge explanation. And really, when you step back and think about it, um, you know, if this is somebody that you're going to have, um, you know, a conversation with, or you're going to be connecting with in the future, it is a good time to kind of start that open line of communication and, Educate a little bit about surrogacy, um, but a lot of times if it's just one of those things where you're in the line at the grocery store, like if you stop and you think like, okay, can I answer this question? Can I just answer this question and answer it? Well, yes. She wants to know my due date. Okay. It's a January 10th. You know, that's <laughs> that's easy. Um, but there, I would say that there are a lot of conversations around surrogacy Um, that happen kind of when you do open up that communication. And I would say the majority of people are very, very supportive of it. Um, I had some people that were a little uncertain. And so they would kind of give me the line that, I'm happy for you as long as everybody is happy and healthy. There I, I definitely had people that would say things to me like, uh, I don't think that gays should be able to have kids or, you know, things like that where it was just it was shocking. Right. Um, to hear that. Um it was it well, was well, and of you a, are it's And
0: you are you are enabling that you are you are placing children into a gay household, right? And and so that's uh, I can imagine that that can be a source of uh, unhappiness for some of the people that you might interact with, or Uh, even family,
1: or even religious family. That was
0: the case with our surrogate, for example, where her family were very unhappy uh about that I, you know I guess the sensitivity that I have and the question that I would ask is what can the parents the prospective parents do to make sure that you feel that the surrogate feels constantly supported regardless of what might be going around going on in, in their surroundings?
2: yeah I mean I would say just anything that you're likely doing as her intended parent is supportive like I And she doesn't expect you to make up for other people's bigotry. You know what I mean? Like she is wanting to be your surrogate to help you become parents. And the last thing that she wants you to be worried about is, you know, whether people that she knows or people that she's related to are worried about her, um, you know, caring for gay dads because that's just at the end of the day that's like part of what has drawn her to be your surrogate and that's part of what she loves about you and she wants you to come towards parenthood having you know I mean parenthood is hard enough so she wants you to come to that point of parenthood in with as least um least amount of stress as possible. Yeah,
0: because um, God knows the lack of stress is going to end instantly upon birth. So yeah. We should this rest. Up. Whoa, yes, for the uh, surrogate. Whoa, for for exactly. the parents. So yeah. So, yeah um,
2: so just um yeah, I would say, you know, everything that you're already doing, like your surrogate just probably appreciates you on so many levels that you don't even realize.
1: Interesting. Um so one last question. I know I know that there are a lot of uh, groups on Facebook for uh, surrogates, and yeah. uh, and even uh, when we g- went through the the surrogacy journey, our surrogate kept talking about the groups and how is she in touch with uh, with other surrogates through this group. I was wondering uh, if there's any discussion in these groups about intended parents, especially like bad experience with intended parents and what they would be.
2: Yeah, I mean there there are definitely so there there are tons of groups um online and it's it's interesting because I think the groups can be kind of tricky because sometimes the groups kind of they can be supportive and they can be an amazing resource. And then other times they can kind of like incite terror and chaos and so it's kind of one of those things that like with with the groups I kind of try to take with a grain of salt um but I think that when surrogates talk in those groups about any experiences that they've had that would not be a good experience um I think a lot of times it has to do with a lack of communication.
0: I think that it would be valuable, even though it might be a little bit unpleasant, to list out categories of bad behavior on the part of prospective parents. And I mean it because, you know what? Like, uh, we can trip by accident into being, um, you know, a, a horror show to our surrogate. And we'd like to know how you sort of think of those categories of behavior so that well we're not doing this ever again but so that prospective <laughs> parents um uh, can can avoid you know uh getting into situations with their surrogate which are not beneficial
2: yeah no okay so i think i think that that's great and I think it might be a little uncomfortable, might be a little tricky, but I think that all of it always kind of boils down to the communication. So I would say that a lot of times, when surrogates are upset or when they aren't, you know, on the same page with what's happening in a journey, it really is due to lack of communication. So sometimes it could be an offhand comment um, by their intended parent. It could be. Something as simple as, like, uh, I had a surrogate friend, and she was pregnant at 33 weeks with twins. And when they saw her during her Skype, the first words out of their mouth um, were, oh, wow, you're so (laughs) huge. And so
0: I'm sorry.
2: She's like, yes, I am pregnant with your twins. I'm 33 weeks, and um, that is that is for sure. And it wasn't anything that you know she's necessarily like going to like go right home about and talk about it. But it is just kind of one of those things, like being aware about what you're saying and how you're saying it. Mm. Um, that I think that that is a major thing.
0: Heather, listen, I get mushy sometimes on this podcast, and I just want to say that when I when I think about what you have done for two couples, when I think <laughs> about what our surrogate uh, did for us... And, and for the, another couple. And for another couple it is i don't know it's it's otherworldly for me because i don't think of anything that comes even halfway there that i have done for anybody in my life and so this is just such a a a powerful thing for us um and uh, and, and and thank you for it
2: oh my goodness well thank, <laughs> thank you guys you. and i appreciate i mean even. I've been listening in on some of your podcasts and it is just like these discussions and these topics. I love it. So I love, love hearing what you guys bring to the table.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you, Heather.
2: You guys take care.
0: All right. Bye-bye now. Bye.
2: Bye.
1: So Alex gets mushy a lot.
0: I don't get, all right, I get mushy a lot. There are all these jobs like a uh, lawyer and and uh, what I do for a living and what Jan does for a living, which are valuable and, 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 and important and all that. But then there's this whole class of people like, I don't know, nurses and social workers and uh, psychologists and God only knows what else, that are contributing to the well-being of people every day. And then there's a surrogate who decides to... Help another couple or individual have a baby by carrying that baby, that child, by herself in her own body for nine months. And I just, I have to admit, I don't understand it. I don't understand how they do it and where where that is giving comes from i know there's money involved but it can't ever just be about the money that that level of giving of yourself
1: and you know what the the thing that heather said that in the hospital after the delivery of the first one yeah she said oh my god i want to do it again and her husband was like what well i'm going to tell you something if
0: i'm confused about what surrogates do surrogates husbands that's just why I don't even know what to say? Because our surrogate's husband is the sweetest man around. He was amazing. But you say to yourself, wow, you're going into this process and it's going to be like what you've done in order to have your own children, but no child results from it. Wow.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. The thing is that uh, I think that what Heather said is that um, the relationship is mostly with the parents and not with the kids. Right. That's also, a, uh, I think it's the... The main issue. I, guys, I'm sorry if you hear our kids in the background, because I do.
0: Well, we um, want to prove that we actually have children, and that we're not
1: just like this crazy just, couple yeah, to, manipulating. Today, we have a problem with the child. We have a child, chi- we child have a care. care malfunction. All right. Guys, if you have stories about your surrogates and you want to share with us, please, please do uh, write to us at hello at daddysqr.com or on Instagram at the gay dads Podcast. Or on Facebook at daddy squared.
0: Daddy, that's q-r.com.
1: Up next. Yeah, so we're moving on to the next uh, story, which is um, open adoption. So that's another issue that we wanted to tackle. And it's a little bit different than the, uh, previous, what, episode. the, the previous episode yeah. when we talked about adoption, because here the child is familiar with the birth mother, whether or not they know she's the birth mother. Right. So we have they have, have, a, they
0: have a, a connection with each other. Yes, yeah.
1: some sort of a connection. So we reached out to Eric Alexander from nolapapa.com. He's a blogger and apparently he's famous in Louisiana, I think. His blog is one of the top LGBT parenting blogs for 2019 and he's also been in some local TV and websites. Eric blogs a lot about open adoption. He blogs also at GaysWithKids.com about it. And we grabbed him for a little conversation about open adoption. And here it is.
3: Eric, hello. Hey there. Good to hear you all.
1: That's, uh, where are you talking uh, to us uh, from?
3: South Mississippi. is. Uh, I'm reared uh, from, but I live in New Orleans. I've lived in New Orleans for about 20 years now.
1: Right, and New Orleans is considered like a gay-loving place?
3: It is, it is for the most part. It's like a little island off of Louisiana. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> I, I, I've done some gay-loving in, in New Orleans. So. Oh, well,
3: that's great. That's for, podcast,
0: that. <laughs> that's for another podcast, though. That's for our explicit <laughs> lyrics podcast.
1: Eric, we, we would like to talk to you to, today about open adoption and um, you blog about it, and Alex and I, basically know nothing about it, and maybe some of our listeners. So can you tell us a little bit about what does it mean?
3: Open adoption means that uh, you know who the birth mother is, not personally, but you uh, usually go with a private agency and that private agency has uh, like a catalog of different adoptive families and they give that catalog to the birth mother and she chooses one and then that way the birth mother knows uh she has a peace of mind knowing that the baby isn't being cared for uh that uh she's able to see pictures and 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 see the baby grow whether it be a text message picture or an email um
1: and she gets to meet I, the, the the child
3: throughout, but it's up to the discretion of the adoptive family of how often, you know. I mean, again, with me, I didn't want it too often because I I was always afraid that, like, what if she wants to come back or, right. you know, uh, just I was afraid of her knowing too much. But the, the more we got to know our birth mother uh, from our first child, um, we just loved her from the beginning and we developed this really sweet friendship and it was genuine and I knew that she was being real with us and after talking privately with Douglas and I we decided that we would like her to be able to have personal visits and see with her own eyes The way that the baby interacts with us and to see the love that that we provide for the child, it was really a beautiful thing. After the first year, though, I will say we backed off of that because we didn't want to confuse the child. We didn't Uh want to confuse our our, our little girl. So that went from personal visits, like two or three personal visits a year during that first year to strictly just pictures.
0: Does uh, the birth mother live near you guys? They
3: actually were from Louisiana, New Orleans. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Of all places. They lived, uh, you know, Mandeville, technically, which is about uh, 35 to 40 minutes away. But in retrospect, that's like so close. Right. You know? Right.
1: Who decides? It's going to be an open adoption. Is that the birth mother's decision or social services' well, she, decision? She
3: she definitely comes to the table with what she wants, and uh, what she wants usually needs to be congruent with what the adoptive family wants. Um, and just by chance, every single one of us. Us, like Douglas and myself, uh, the birth mother, and our social worker, we were all congruent with where the direction needed to go with with this. And it was, for us, an open adoption. Huh. Uh, she has a gay brother, and she has seen the hardships that the gay community has trying to make a family. And she—I have chill bumps—she uh, wanted to help in some way and that was her way of doing that with us. Um, we're two men and, you know, that's uh, not a natural situation there. So as the baby gets older, we know the questions are going to come. You, right. know? <laughs> uh, you know, we did not make the baby. So mm-hmm. we wanted to be honest and be open and, and transparent. How, how old are your kids now? Allie May, our oldest, who I've been talking about, she's three and a half. Okay and Ella, our youngest, just made two last week. Yeah. Oh. So, Ali Mae is the same age as our kids. Yes. Um, and, yeah, uh, play date.
0: Uh, and, yeah, right? Uh, um, <laughs> we're coming to New Orleans because L.A. is not. It's for
1: the beignets. Uh, oh, yeah. The
3: beignets.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, but, but um, so she's not, she's not quite old enough yet, is she? Is she asking, um, c- you know, can I see my mommy? Uh, do I have a uh, mommy? Is she doing
3: any of that yet? Well, uh, not necessarily the mommy part, but uh, one of my latest uh, blog pieces I wrote about touched this exact topic. And uh, we knew her going to nursery school; she would see the mommies, right? Right. She would see. She would see the mommies come and pick up the children, and she. I, I knew <laughs> it would happen, and I talked to Douglas. So I was like, "I'm waiting for it, and I'll be dog if it didn't happen." <sighs> she came home, and she said. I don't have a mommy. This is when we were putting her to bed and, and Douglas and I both looked at each other and we're like, Oh crap, here it comes. <laughs> um, and we said, no, no, no. Every, everyone has a mother. I kind of get had to veer away from the mommy part, uh-huh. you know, cause that was such a personal touch right. to it. Um, but everyone has a mother and, uh, you know, we talked about our mothers and we talked about, uh, Her, um, I don't, we didn't really say her birth mother. She said, because of the books that we read, we Mm. we try to educate her, uh, you know, from I guess about a year ago, we started adoptive books and and gay adopting books. Um, And she said, Well, tell me about my birth mother and we were floored she used birth mother seriously wow
0: i was befuddled
1: yeah (laughs) so i have a question a general question about the birth mother um does she have to be in open adoption does she has to be does she have to be identified as a birth mother i mean if you choose the open adoption route it means that ali may will know her as the birth mother or just a friend of the family how does it go?
3: Well, I guess it's different with everyone. It depends on the the boundaries that you want to set up personally. Um, in the beginning, because we didn't want to confuse her, um, we had the birth mother come and visit, but she was a friend. Um, yeah. She, uh, Allie Mae knew her name, and she would call her by her name. Um, but once when she started asking questions and we, we really – address the topic, that's when we were able to associate um, that, actually, this is your birth mother. Rather oh, so than you said her name
1: friend. and she knew who, who she, you were talking about.
3: Yes. She knew that um, she didn't know in the first year that that was her birth mother. She just thought it yeah. was a friend of ours. Yeah. Um, and then once the question started, that's when we were like, well, actually, she's your birth mother.
1: How did she react to it? She said... She
3: is. And listen, she's three and a half. So it right. was like, I mean, she said she is. And we were like, she is. And she goes, well, can I see her? And we were like, yeah, uh, yes, you can. Um, so we, uh, you know, as soon as we tucked her in to go to sleep, we called her and was like, hey, come over for dinner. And she came over for dinner And, you know, Allie Mae had to warm up to to her, like she does with any kind of unfamiliar situation. Um, It took about 30 minutes, but then she told me she was in the living room uh, while her birth mother and Douglas were in the kitchen. She said, can you go get my birth mother? (laughs) And... I, I, I was I mean three and a half like she was 12 or 13 <laughs> adorable, all of a sudden right and I said sure I'll, I'll yes ma'am I'll go get her so I went in and I, I told her she was being summoned and uh, <laughs> she walked into the living room and Allie Mae looked straight at her and said are you my birth mother and she said well y- yes I am and she said um well can we go play with toys, birth mother? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and uh, that, was, that was that. It was like addressing an elephant in the room. It wow. really...
1: I think that the myth around uh, open adoption is that um, you live in fear that the biological parent will want the kid back. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about this? How did you feel I'll, and how did yes. you, if you ever overcome it?
3: Well, have... I'll tell you. Um, this is really, it's kind of... Uh, ironic, but last night I had a nightmare about it. And I mean, it, it it's, a, and like I said before, I was fearful of it all together in the beginning. Um, but as we grew, I was able to release that fear. Um, now our second daughter, Ella, she has a closed adoption. Uh-huh. Um, we knew the m- birth mother through our agency, but the birth mother, uh, did not want a relationship with a child because it hit really personal nerves and she didn't she wanted the baby but she couldn't because it was just beyond her means Mm. so she had to just you know go the adoption route now with her situation um i don't know when what i'm about to say i don't know where other states their laws are all i can speak of is louisiana's laws and for us in new orleans when you adopt a child the birth mother, the birth father sign. And if there isn't uh, one of the two, then that is left open. And when we finalized for Ella, our second, there was a blank for the birth father. And even though we finalized in the court and we took our pictures with the judge and you see all those pictures, you see there's one year from that point that the birth father can step back into the pictures. I have chill bumps. Um, Wow. I
0: have chill bumps too.
3: And (laughs) he could come in, and this is where my dream came in last night. But for me, and I don't want to scare anyone, but for us, that absolutely cannot happen because we went past that year mark already. So there's nothing that he can do. That's just, I guess, where I, you know, still have that fear, even though it's not rational.
0: Yeah, um, that is... I think that that's a, f- a fear that um, all gay parents have in some form or another, even if it's IVF. There are still fears, but I guess they're much much smaller fears than when it comes yeah. to uh, a- adoption.
1: So mm-hmm. what's what's interesting to me is that you uh, talk about...
0: Sorry, Alex. What? Uh, my husband is playing with a rubber band <laughs> in such a way that it's, it's interfering with I'm my thinking, focus. I'm
1: thinking, so in, in a way... I mean, you kind of write and blog about, like in favor of open adoption, and I want you to kind of give us a little taste of why would you choose, what why, why would you recommend people to choose uh, open adoption, even though they have these fears, which they probably do?
3: Well, I feel like that the more you can be real with your, your child, uh, especially as they get older, um, like I said earlier, you being uh, truthful and honest, it, I think paves the foundation of who they become. Um, I feel like that as she, our uh, Allie Mae, as she gets older, she'll know that we will tell her the truth about whatever she may ask, you know, and I feel like that that is... It's integral in and, and her development. You know, the more we can actually just be open and honest, the better she'll turn out. Right. Also, too, the mother is going through this traumatic experience. Uh, you know, it's scary for us the, as the adoptive family, but for her to give up her baby, you know, uh, and in some cases never see again if it's a closed adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's an open adoption, she's able... Gosh, the chill bumps isn't. <laughs> mm. She's able to know that her baby is taken care of, uh, like, and especially with gays. You know, we're not able to have babies naturally, so right. we'll climb the highest mountain for our children because we're not able to take that for granted. Whatever we want to do, as far as having a kid, we will climb that, that mountain or swim that ocean because we're not able to do it like a straight couple right. so you know they're able to see oh wow you know you want to go to a private school or you want to play the violin I mean there's these things that oh
0: god not the violin though
3: <laughs> so I kind of like I like the piano but yeah
0: you know, you know what the piano is good except you can't carry it around with you I, all I think about is what gets the, the girls or the guys and I think that it basically is the guitar it's basically oh, always. Right. It's You're always so old-fashioned. No, you need. It's you can carry it around and you play it, and then they just gather around you. It's amazing. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so you you um you did this adoption um in Louisiana. Um, you were living there. The the um both birth mothers are from Louisiana. Or, they are right, mm-hmm. and so is Louisiana a particularly gay unfriendly state when it comes to adoption
3: or is it, is it cool? You would think that it would be because it's so, such a a conservative state. Right. Um, now our, our adoption agency that we went through, they are, um, I think with us, which was in 2015, um, we were one of the first one, first gay couples in their, uh, I think maybe their history, I could be wrong. Um, but, um, they weren't known for, you know, having gay couples. Right. Uh, it wasn't that they were against it. I think, you know, everything, uh, in the South takes longer, you know, to, to catch up to modern society. <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> um, and, uh, I feel like in, in that situation, that was it because we just loved everybody that worked at our agency. Um, And, you know, our uh, adoption attorney, our social worker, they were all so accepting. Um, Now, when we started out the journey and we were researching, um, obviously, the Catholic uh, agencies and stuff like that, they were a a no-go, which is, you know, you'd know that. But um, for the most part, what I've found is accepting. Um, I have a couple of friends. They were actually the only gay couples that we knew that had kids, and we reached out to them, and they uh, helped us find this agency, um, but they weren't allowed to have both of their names on their certificate. Uh-huh. Uh, and how, how heart wrenching is that? Like, I can't even imagine. Um, but now they are because of the, the change in, yeah. of the laws I and see. everything. But in, in the beginning, when they adopted, I think she's eight, um, maybe nine, I think eight. Um, when she was born, only one name could be Got on it. there. Right, and right. since then, you know, both of us, Douglas and myself, were on uh, the birth certificates. Yeah.
1: Do you know what, uh, made your, um, what made the birth mother choose you
3: guys? Um, well, I, I, the, the portfolio we put together, um, you know, it, it was about everything that who we are, um, uh, our families that embrace all that we stand for our church that we love. We're Episcopals and they Mm -hmm. embrace us for who we are. Um, her, her, father actually was an Episcopal priest. So it was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, it was like different, different things. Um, it almost seemed, uh, like, uh, like the universe was putting us together in the same room. It, right. It's really, it was weird. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen, I mean, and it, to three and a half weeks it took for our adoption for Allie Mae. We were told five years because we were a wow. gay couple. Um, and it turned out to be three and a half weeks. Wow. So, um, so I really think that there were really uh, very important things that had to happen. And it just, each thing lined up like a constellation.
1: Amazing. Are you in touch with the, with her brother? With her gay brother?
3: We're not in touch with him. I ask about him often when we do talk to her birth mother. Um, but,
1: but he didn't see Ali May, did he?
3: He he has met her. Yes, oh, okay. he met her when she was a little baby.
1: Okay. Uh, I think uh, we're coming toward the ends uh, the, the the end. I have one last question. Um, and what is your recommendation to gay couple who start looking on at adopting? Um, what kind of research do you recommend them to do?
3: Well, um, I, like what we did, we went to Google, um, and that is saturated with all, I mean, you you, talk about a rabbit hole. I mean, it really, it's almost overwhelming, but you really can't educate yourself with, um, whether it be open adoption or closed adoptions, agencies, fosters, all these different things or terms that you may have not known before and, uh, different websites can help with that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm going to branch off here real quick, but open adoption is, is I don't want anybody to take away fear from, from what I might've said earlier. Um, it's a good way to grow because, you know, you might come in from this corner of being fearful of, of open adoption, but once you embrace what, it's about from both sides, whether it be your reason or the mother's reason. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing.
1: Right, Eric. Thank you so much. Nolapapa.com, right? That's right. It's so Nola Papa. <laughs> I just want to. I
0: just want to say, probably inappropriately. Your accent is so good. It's so like we 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 Yankees just. It's it's much better than a British a British accent is good, but a really good Southern accent. That's just the best. Oh, so. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um,
3: I, I've lived in New Orleans for twenty years. I'm waiting for it to fade, and it just won't. go No, don't let it go.
0: Hold on.
2: <laughs> thank Eric, you, thank so, you much, so much, Eric.
3: I appreciate that. Thank you for reaching out. It's a pleasure, you guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye
1: Bye-bye. So remember how uh, in the previous episode, uh, Uffe told us that no adoption story is the same? Yeah. So now I think about it every time I'll hear an adoption story because, you know, they told them that it's going to take five years to adopt her kids and it took three and a half weeks. Yeah. That's really amazing. I mean, the, f- the fact that they don't really know right. for good or for bad what's going to happen there is uh, is crazy, I think. It's I, crazy I will ride. tell you, I, I genuinely
0: believe that the surprise of getting the kid in three weeks is the best thing that could have happened. Because yes. the ability to prepare, that, that's bullshit. Like, the best thing is to have the thing dropped on you as quickly as possible, and then you're just going to have to figure a way around because... You know, having years to to get every part of your house, I don't know, baby-proofed or whatever is not going to help your preparation for having kids.
1: Right. And if you want to follow, uh, to continue following Eric and his uh, stories about uh, his open adoption and in general about being a LGBT family in New Orleans, please log on to his website at nolapapa.com or on Instagram at nolapapa. (music) Alex, we're two weeks away from season finale. I know. It's
0: so much like Game of Thrones. It's incredible, right? You can Like feel it most the, fast? You can feel the crackling energy of people just desperately waiting for that season finale. And what's it going to be? <laughs> what's going to happen? Right? Which one of us will survive?
1: Right. You know. Guys, you know that most of the issues that we talk about in season two are subjects that were submitted to us by our listeners. So I want to thank all of you guys who are writing to us. Keep writing to us and suggest us issues because we're starting to work on season three now and we'll be back, hopefully, after Christmas. And um, After Christmas? After Christmas. Why, is it too soon? Too soon? Oh, I'm going to miss everybody. I'm going to so miss sweet. everybody. <laughs> Oh, we have tons of surprises uh, in between, so don't worry. Alex. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I don't listen. Everything should be revealed. I I don't know
0: if our listeners know how much we love doing this. I, I love doing this. I love talking to the people we interview. I love reading the responses that we get. It just feels like an opportunity to. You know, have this group of people that gets to get together once a week, even if it seems like it's one way, it isn't. And, and yeah. it means a lot to
1: us. Shall we get a little bit personal and say that uh, if they're in L.A., reach out to us? Oh, my God, yes, of course.
0: We would love that. <laughs> Tell us when you're coming to town. Yeah, you can we...
1: come. Uh, uh, we will definitely uh, do our best to hang out with you guys and show you around sure. L.A. Um, and, especially and, if you have kids. And if you don't have kids, you can borrow our
0: children for some <laughs> extended period of time. You have to come with a
1: you know Just bring a license. driver's license. All we need <laughs> is to see certificate. a driver's <laughs> license. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I wish you an amazing week. Enjoy the summer. That's right. I hope you love it as much as I do. I hope the dad bods are going as they should. And we're going to see you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: becoming a dad, surrogacy is an amazing way to grow your family. Circle Surrogacy has successfully made the dream of parenthood a reality for gay, singles, and couples from across the U.S. and around the world for over 20 years. The surrogacy process and surrogacy costs can be complex. Circle's experienced staff will partner with you on your path to parenthood. Circle Surrogacy was founded on the belief that everyone should have the opportunity to become a parent, and they've helped bring almost 2,000 babies into this world. Circle Surrogacy makes parenthood possible for gay dads. Learn more at circlesurrogacy.com.